dark save for light being cast from the big tv screen and the imminent sunrise that's teasing the one starry sky with whispers of morning hey george hey lines how's it going uh it's it's pretty good i want to uh i want to i want to tell you a little story about 13 iterations of the central finite curve there's a Meduncan that wants to spend more time in nature than being new and tasty that's why we came up with Simple Rick's New and Tasty. No, wait. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and we take those Meduncans and we, sp- we feed them on a loop to you. Uh, that, that would be such an odd world to live in. <laughs> so <laughs> That's I'm the trying. name of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what phrase from that has actually worked itself into my <laughs> life so much? It's not... Super easy, barely an inconvenience because I love that, but that's the obvious one. The one that's actually worked itself deep into my daily life experience is so the movie can happen (laughs) (laughs) because I don't watch a ton of television. I watch a ton of movies, but every once in a while I will get into a conversation with someone about a stupid thing that happened in a stupid TV show or stupid movie. And then you only get two or three volleys in before your brain goes, so the movie can happen, because that is the answer way yeah. more often than it should be. Yeah, for me, it's uh, the I'm going to need you to get all the way <laughs> off my back about, you know, and and I don't use it in the ways that you think I would when somebody's giving me grief about something. It's more it is more so when I'm referring to, you know, like. Oh, hey, maybe we should go do thing A today. Why would we go? Why would we go out hiking today? It's raining. It's like I don't know. I kind of want to go outside and just kind of be outside. Yeah, but I mean, it's supposed to. Be, I'm going to need you to get all the way off my back about my my logic behind going outside today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is that is a good one. I, that one needs to come in a little bit more too. Anyway, um, we played Oddworld colon Abe's Odyssey. Um, mm-hmm. Funny that you should mention colons. It's funny indeed. So uh, I don't know when exactly it's the right time to discuss like the narrative of this game and like its story and stuff a little bit. Um, But the reason I want to bring it up right now, at least for a moment, is because the general story of Oddworld colon Abe's Odyssey is that you're an alien who's a slave to other aliens in like a meatpacking facility. And you don't, you don't want to be there anymore after you find out that they are going to start killing and eating slaves because the sale of their other products is down. Um, Mm -hmm. That's not hyperbole. I'm not oversimplifying. That is literally the story exactly as it is given to you in like the first 30 seconds of the game, Um, Mm -hmm. which is kind of heavy. But the reason that I say all that is to say this, uh, the product that they're going to the, like the branding for the slave meat is new and tasty. And this game came out in, uh, let's see, September 18th of 1997. Uh, and the series is actually still running weirdly. Uh, I didn't know this when we picked this game, the newest version, uh, in this series is actually coming out in April of 2021. 
So this episode will release and then like a week and a half later, you can go buy the latest game in this series that is somehow still running, um, which is why we did this. I know no, you said that. I know you no, just said that we no, didn't. No, 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 no. I mean, that's why I did it. I, but, yeah, I mean, you only do things for for profit. I do things for fun. You do them for profit. <laughs> and between us, we do things for fun and profit. Um, yeah, yeah. But in 2014, they remade the original game, and those psychopaths called it new and tasty. Oddworld <laughs> Abe's Odyssey. <laughs> that's amazing. Good, <laughs> like, good, good for some, them some serious gallows humor like, yeah <laughs> really yeah. macabre yeah, i mean i, I they probably <laughs> that's probably after they were doing some severe crunch on the back end and they're like all right we, we we're about to ship this thing what should we call it call it new and tasty it's like uh south park um calling their game the fractured but whole you know <laughs> where it's like no one's gonna get it except for the people who get it and they'll think it's really funny. <laughs> uh, the the exact people we're hoping will give us money for this. They will think this is funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do have some more to say about the, the plot, but that, that can wait until later uh, um, to see if it comes up organically, like meat packed organically, <laughs> organic meat. I mean, it, I guess it probably is. I don't know if they talk about that. That wasn't as big of a deal in the 1990s. Um, <laughs> So my Fart the table, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> my nostalgia goggles for this game uh, is essentially I played this when it was new um, and then I don't honestly remember playing any of the sequels or playing this game again later. So to the best of my recollection, I played this in the late 1990s and then did not play any of the sequels and did not play the remake or any, anything else after that. Um, so I had a pretty isolated set of memories. Cause you know, by the night late 1990s, I was no longer, you know, a young youngin, just an older youngin. So you start to lie to yourself and tell yourself that your memories from that age are like pretty good, but they're not. Oh yeah. Right. Nope. <laughs> so, by the time you reach that kind of like teenage, middle teenage age, you're like, no, no, I, I remember what it was like to be 15. It's like, you don't remember. Stop lying to yourself and everyone else. So going into this game, I was like, no, no, I was like, I was, I was a little older. I think I have a pretty clear pick. No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, I did remember the story exactly because, oh, my God, how could you not? But like the a lot of what it was like to actually play the game and, you know, deal with the mechanics and, and deal with um a lot of things I probably didn't even think about when I was that age that all felt new to me. So, uh, b- bigger jump in time than I have for, for some games. Cause I don't know. I just never, never touched any of the sequels. There's like eight sequels. Like this is a long running series and I just, I don't know. Yep. Just didn't, didn't do, do it for you. Um, so I had no nostalgia experience for this uh, outside of you being like, dude, we should play this game on. Okay. Um, so, in lieu of that, I will now talk about the game's plot. So, um, yeah, so, you know, like, it, it's it's briefly voiced over narrated by Abe, uh, and at which point he kind of reveals the plot to you, um, and I, I, I will touch on this again in audio, but I got a new TV recently, um, and I did not have the audio set up properly at first, so um, the first, you know, hour or so of this game I played, instead of trying to figure that out, I just played the game without the audio. And I will say that, that the, the opening sequence, you don't need the narration. Like it does a great job just visually relaying to you. Like I got the plot pretty much verbatim 
And then I went and played it again and, and heard it. And I was like, yeah, no, that, that's, that's, that was my takeaway, you know, was, <laughs> was the, the plot of the thing. Um, and it is just, I, I look, my note is literally, it is just such stereotypical nineties villainy, you know? Right. And, like that's, and the way it's delivered, like this super deep, heavy, oh my God, slaves. And they're going to kill and eat them because they're, they're not, human they're less than human so why not kill and eat them but like also fart jokes yeah yeah i mean it's just like that type of 90s villainy because i mean i you know when you think about it there were a lot of 90s cartoons where there was a villain that was in some capacity a businessman you know um and well, it's even just the, it, the big boss has the giant cartoonish cigar <laughs> yeah exactly i mean like that is and i think that it's interesting and says something about the 90s that you know then we were saying like hey maybe villains aren't out to destroy the world or or conquer the world through force maybe they will just do it through corporate machinations um i say all of that to say uh that their their overall business model i feel is short-sighted <laughs> <laughs> which is it's not to say that you know like like killing sentient creatures and packing them into meat is you know i mean I, okay it's evil obviously it's evil but again outside of that it's it's in and of itself like you could sustain that but then if all of a sudden you're seeing a dip in profits and then your knee jerk is to consume your trained workforce because i mean you know they, they they view them as as less than human they're slaves like understood on all that but you definitely had to train them to do this stuff right so they're gonna have to backfill those positions or deal with those positions not existing and then at that point just don't backfill like just just eat that thing eat the thing you were going to backfill with so i'm saying that one it is absolutely evil i in no way endorse any of the decisions made by the villains in this video game but not only is it evil it's it's incompetent and i think that that's also also stupid so that's my nostalgia experience i so my understanding about the sequels is they are all the same kind of abe trying to save other maduncans um and you know liberate them from other kinds of related bondage um it would be somehow even more terrifying if they factored that kind of thinking into the story if they're Mm. like oh the reason the sequel and i don't know if this is true but like oh the reason the sequel has a different villain is because the villain from the first game obviously had his empire collapse because he made such a ridiculous business decision it's like wait that was the takeaway from the game about p- eating slaves <laughs> like is it yeah it's not economical uh, <laughs> like that that would be more terrifying right it's like to take something so dark and then be like the lesson is you got to plan long term like, yeah man no, no that's not the le- how is that the lesson <laughs> <laughs> well it's like uh one of my favorite lines from deep space nine where uh bashir is talking to uh garrick and he tells him about the story of the boy who cries wolf and garrick is like what a terrifying story doctor you tell this to children and and <laughs> bashir says like but you see the lesson there garrick and he's like and what is that doctor don't lie are you sure that that's the lesson what else could it possibly be never tell the same lie twice you know, so it's like it's like that. We're just kind of like, like the lesson is the killing slaves and eating them is wrong. It's like, are you sure that's the lesson? It's like it should be. <laughs> that's what we were going for. Was it not? Did we not make that clear? We should make a sequel. 
Yeah. And that's, and that's why the sequels exist. Yeah, they just keep trying to tell that story. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is, um, cause we're like way far afield here. Uh, yep. but no, we're kind of not, we just don't always have to go this deep into the narrative of a game. Um, but I, I do, you summed it up a hundred percent when you were like super nineties, right? Because, and we'll talk about nineties visuals and nineties audio and nineties mechanics. And it, this game is nineties in a lot of ways, but I realize now we've played enough games from like 94 to 99 that this let's tell these incredibly familiar stories, but use weird grunge. It, it was an odd time for, science fiction because science fiction has always been about let's pretend that these aliens who are black on the left and white on the right are, you know, different from human beings. Some of whom are black and some of it's like, no, we get it right. Like you got to be a real simpleton to not understand that pretty much all science fiction is about the present day, but told through a lens that is more palatable and sometimes just more interesting to Mm -hmm. the mass public. Right. Or, or I think that for me, a lot of times what it does is it allows to create a universe that is able to investigate a specific thing, you know? So it's instead of dealing with like, well, with our world, it's so complicated. It's like, it is. So let's make a a world through science fiction where you can kind of take amp the one thing you want to see up to a 10 and keep everything else the same or diminish it or, you know, but you can alter it. So you can say like, okay, now let's talk about this issue having moved away all the variables, which I think is fascinating with science fiction because science is best when you isolate a variable, which is what I kind of think science fiction does. That's awesome. And we should now just do a podcast about that. Um, <laughs> but I, I do, I do think that could be the after show. Um, I do. Yeah, yeah. I do think that uh, the nineties had this really weird obsession with like grungy science fiction. It's not mm-hmm. cyberpunk, Right which can be grungy, but it's not that it's this like the earthworm gemification of the future where we have like spaceships that travel faster than light, but also like floating garbage dumps everywhere. Right. And like this society is obviously made up of multiple different alien species, which means they must be some of them must be interplanetary, but they still have to resort to eating other sentient. Like there's this, this bizarre like nirvanification of all these different sci-fi stories that were told at this time in history. And and I don't know if that's necessarily good or bad, but Holy crap. Is this one of those? Like if you've never seen this game, imagine if they made earthworm Jim for the PS one. And that's basically what the visuals are like. I mean, really hard. Uh, so let's, but before we, we dive too deep into visuals though, let's um let's chill. Uh, we do always need to take this time, usually not this far into the episode, but we didn't forget about you, um, to thank new followers, new subscribers, new listeners. Welcome. Welcome. Um, we've gotten lots of nice, uh, feedback over the ages. Uh, we actually just recently, um, I had to send out a sticker to one of our, our Patreon subscribers. If you subscribe at certain tiers on Patreon, you get a sticker. Um, and when I reached out to this person to be like, Oh, Hey, you actually, uh, you get your, your sticker. Um, they were like, Oh, cool. I thought like, I just enjoy, like, I didn't 
okay, cool. Like I want the Super Nintendo one. And I was like, yay. Like they, they, they didn't, they qualified for this reward, didn't even know it. Right. And so that's like, that's someone who really just enjoys what we're doing. And that like the fact that they were confused about that, I was like, oh, you're not just here for the stuff. Like you just, you're so excited. So that, that's a good feeling. Um, podcast reviews always help other people find as well. Uh, but if you really want to, uh, be shouted out as a human being and not just part of the mass that is the audience, um, then you got to be either an 8-bit classic or a 16-bit hero. So we want to thank our 8-bit classics, Michael S. and our 16-bit Michael heroes. S. Michael S., the king of Koopas, the eater of one-up mushrooms. <laughs> I like this. I like where this is going. Yeah. Uh, our 16-bit heroes, Jacob K., wielder of the crowbar and the gravity gun. <laughs> and David S., the squanchiest of squanchers. <laughs> you, you, do you realize the like check you have just written for yourself? Oh uh, yeah. No, I, I did actually think this through. I've been thinking about it kind of over the last week going in and out of work that this is a thing I want to do. So, uh, and I meant to bring it up to you in the pre-show and I completely forgot. So no, this was, I'm, I'm glad that I and the audience found out this way. <laughs> you know, <laughs> organically in the, moment. this is a, a new thing that I'm yeah, taking on for myself. Yeah. yeah. I'm a hat guy. Now I wear hats. <laughs> so, uh, visuals. Now we can talk about the visuals. They're super grungy in nineties. Um, having grown up at this time, I like that. Like it's, it feels familiar to me, but I mean, it's that all over. Yep, absolutely. I think that um, I think that the grunge is uh, uh, obviously the product of a number of things. But I think one of the reasons why we see grunge in more video games is a, as we've discussed culturally, um, the kind of outlook of people who were making video games of the time was starting to become a little bit more dour in the sense that you know figure that a lot of the people that were coming into the industry were people who grew up on video games. So now they wanted to make their own video games, but they're not kids anymore. They're adults now. And so they see things through an adult lens. Additionally, the hardware was such that it could actually kind of render this type of stuff, you know, because if Mario wanted to be super grungy, how how are they going to do that? How are you going to do that? You can't do that with the hardware, you know? So I think that some of this, um, the visual aesthetic here of the grunge was such that they're like, we can do this now. We can actually make this game. So uh, visuals for the sake of visuals, I will say that they absolutely suit the aesthetic that they're going for. Um, They are not, I wouldn't say that they're visually pleasing because they're not supposed to be. No, you know, no, you're so, in a dank factory where they eat slaves. Like, yeah. not, nothing is clean. You know, there's, there's no, uh, not OSHA. Who would it be? Like the FDA? Who, who would, who would regulate this industry? So that's that's interesting because it would either be the FDA or the USDA. This would probably be the USDA. But it depends because if they were making like bread and stuff like that, the FDA regulates that. The USDA regulates meat and poultry, which really makes it interesting if you go to make a sandwich. Who regulates that? <laughs> and I'm serious because I, I assume like, you just have two people yelling at you. Probably, but my understanding is that if you make a closed face sandwich, there is enough bread that that falls under the FDA. But if you do an open face sandwich, then there's enough meat and dairy to then qualify for it to be regulated by the USDA. Yes. I. Why did I also know that? That's is it weird... from that lawyer YouTube guy? Ooh, yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. 
Thank you, yeah. Legal Eagles. Um, Legal Eagle. Yeah. Great um, guy. Watch your show. <laughs> but yeah, the, there's, uh, I, I think the word I would use to describe it is texture. You mm-hmm. can't on the Super Nintendo do even on the N64 because the, the route they chose to optimize for with that hardware, you couldn't really do grungy, grainy textures because you need a lot of information to do that. Right. Which is why a lot of PlayStation games, this one included, look like a bunch of pre-rendered JPEGs because that's exactly what they are. <laughs> they, they drew it on way more powerful hardware or on developer hardware or whatever, and then they compress it down. But it, it don't move. Right. Like it's it is super static and it can't move. It's not tiles. It's not um, it's not an image map where it's like, oh, well, this barrel could fall off of the 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 background. It's no that that barrel is cemented in place with every other thing in the background because it had to be to get that level of graphical fidelity. And we've played a lot of PS one games where I think because I was the PlayStation kid, I was like, ah, yeah, I mean the textures are a little muddy, but you know whatever. And you're just like, nah, nah, this looks like crap. <laughs> and you're probably more right than I care to admit, but at least in a game like this, it's like, no, I, I think this is actually the exact look they're going for. Everything yes. just looks kind of gross. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think that as, as we, we, as you mentioned, is that the difference is that that is in service of the aesthetic here in jumping Jack flash or whatever, <laughs> like when you're Jump, in a giant flash, yeah, jumping, jumping, flash the Jack Flash jump, man. Um, no, no. Uh, so, anyways, but no, in in that one, when you're in a giant rabbit robot, like I don't think that you know grungy, t- highly textured stuff. That's not in keeping with the core aesthetic, but um, it absolutely is here. You know, and I mean, one of the other notes I thought that was, it is clear that you know, the, and we'll get into, you know, controls mechanics, like kind of how I feel the game kind of came together. But as far as visually what they're trying to make you feel, um, they, they spent a lot of time lovingly crafting that even to the point where I really like the fact that the, um, the, the Maduckins, Maduckins, the Abes, um, the Abes, uh, they, they actually have their mouths sewn shut, you know, it's just so there's no way little kid me noticed and appreciated the utter horror, right? Because that's like the second I fired the game up, I was just like, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, again, it really kind of sells the complete dystopia. And, um, and I think that the, uh, again, just for the last thing I'll say on the visual aesthetic, uh, the opening cutscene. um, I think that it works really, really well because they, it's all 3D rendered, you know, it's a 3D rendered cutscene. It's an FMV, as we, yes. would, we would have said back in the day. <laughs> um, it works because it, even though it's dark and gritty, it is still a cartoon. So they're not trying to render people, which would have looked awful, you know? So they can still get that gritty aesthetic because, you know, they, they said, okay, well, they're aliens. Well, so how are we going to make it dark and gritty? It's like these aliens are mostly round. <laughs> like they're, they're, they're mostly like either completely round cylinders or really straight vampire lines. You know, like that's what these aliens look like. Deal with it. Well, you know, and, which and I think critically the right their skin is like unnaturally smooth. 
right? Whereas humans tend to like have, you know, blemishes and hair and stuff. And, and we know what human skin is kind of supposed to look like and the way it sort of refracts light. Uh, we don't know what alien skin looks like. So this is just what these aliens look like. So your brain doesn't really think about how the light is reflecting off their surface because this is just what it looks like. Yep. It, 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 this is what their carapace looks like. So um, <laughs> I thought that that was, I thought that was really well done. Uh, visuals for uh, in service of gameplay. One of the things that I struggled with, and I don't know um, whether or not you, you'll concur with this, is that I did not care for the hitbox um, more specifically for interacting with some objects. But, uh, the one that hit me the most was the, uh, the lever that mm-hmm. you pull. I, I spent a not insubstantial amount of time screwing around with that. And the fact that the interact button is also the wake up all of the guards button <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was, was troublesome. You know? Yeah. I'm sorry, I, is that the come back here and kick me whistle? <laughs> oh, wait, Blam, 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 blam. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mostly struggled with the, the hitbox on the ramifications of getting hit because th- this game, you know, we 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 went on quite a bit about like it's a game about emancipating slaves and that's super messed up. Um, but it's the the mechanics of the game are they are like this game is basically Prince of Persia like the old the original yeah. like 1977 or whatever Prince of Persia like it's you know multi-screen sometimes single screen often like two three screen little puzzles where you gotta do some platforming do you know I gotta turn the electric field off without waking up the guard and I do that by pulling the lever so I gotta sneak over there whatever that kind of thing um you have nuns hit points and a stiff breeze will murder you. And, and that's barely an exaggeration because pretty early on in the game, there are these bats that seem like they're atmospheric, but if you uh, are hanging onto a ledge, the bats make you lose your grip and you fall and die. So like basically everything instantly kills you because anything that kills you will kill you instantly. And so there's a lot of times where it's like, okay, I need to, jump over this and then I got to run over there and then I got to pull in this lever and then I got to turn around and run back and then jump onto this ledge before the dog comes and eats me or the guard sees me and gets close enough to shoot at me or whatever. And that's where I noticed the hitbox being a lot more annoying is when I had to link two or three things together and execute them quickly. That's where I was like, okay, I need to quickly stop right in front of the lever and pull it and then continue running. Or I need to jump up and grab onto this ledge or I need to drop down off of this ledge. There were a lot of times where I was just like, I, I'm not perfectly lined up. And so then you just do nothing. Like if you go to jump up and grab a ledge and you're not perfectly lined up, you just do like a, like white man can't jump like, eh, like, you know, while all the other, the ballers all shake their head, like you'll never be able to dunk Abe. Right. It's just, <laughs> it's this, it's this, and then you die. And th- cause you, then you die. Right. If you screw up one thing in the sequence of things. And so it, I, I would almost say it was like the platforming was where the hitbox bothered me the most is like, jump over this, grab onto that and do it quickly or else you're going to die. That, that was where I was like, oh, man, I can't quite get a feel for where the edge of collisions are going to start happening. And it, and it feels like that should be easily calculable because 
if you look closely at the way Abe moves, he kind of moves on a grid. There's like when you jump, you jump like Castlevania. Like you can't mm-hmm. decide how far you jump. You have yes. the, the standing jump and the running jump, and that's it. It's always the exact full distance of the jump and the full height of the jump always because they design puzzles around that. So you would think having that kind of predictability would mean you don't even have to think about the collision in the hitbox or the, the hitbox and the collision detection for platforming, but somehow you do. And I can, since you touched on a few times, I can kind of shoehorn this individuals, um, which is uh, there's no coyote physics in this game. No. <laughs> yeah. So that's frustrating because again, and, and, and you know, I, I can see why to kind of tie in individuals, which is that, you know, when Mega Man, for example, has one pixel on, you know, like the ledge and the rest of him is completely over the ledge. You know, it's like, how do you do that? I dig my toes into the ceiling. <laughs> you dig your toes into NASA grade titanium. Don't you get it? You shouldn't be that strong. You know, it as <laughs> a C-Lab 2021 reference, man. I'm proud of myself. Real throwback. Uh, yeah. So anyways, uh, is it that that? that kind of works mechanically and your brain doesn't really latch onto that. Cause it's a, it's, it's a cartoon that's cartoony. This is a cartoon that's dystopian. So if Abe was kind of half hanging off of a thing, it would probably pull you out of the moment. But what also pulls me out of the moment is running at a dead sprint with Abe and just casually running to my death, you know, well, and so much momentum. And and this yeah. is this is how we we keep this tied more firmly into visuals than letting it straight into mechanics is the animations for how Abe moves are super loving, right? Mm-hmm. When you are running and then you if you drop the controller, and I know because I tried it, because I was <laughs> I was trying to see like, oh, is it that I'm holding the button longer than I think I am? If you're running and you drop literally just let go of everything and let the controller fall into your lap you do this kind of like wind like old person, like slowing down from a run that they probably shouldn't have been doing in the first place. If you, um, if you're running and then you go to change directions, there's this huge, uh, like smearing style kind of animation where you like dig your foot in and you twist your hips and shoulders so that you can reverse your momentum. And it takes forever mechanically. That's its whole own thing. But watching it, you're like, oh, man, that looked pretty damn realistic. Like that was a very believable amount of momentum for his frame to be carrying. When you're watching that momentum carry you to your death off of a ledge again and again and again, that's where you're like, no, you know what? I'd like half a second of coyote physics, please. I just I I promise I won't pause on it and make a big deal about it. But I just don't want to start the puzzle over. Yeah, and I think that I, I agree completely that the visuals behind the movement are lovingly crafted. And correct me if I'm way off base with this, but it's uh, you know they they actually have a 3D model for Abe. Um, is that correct? Okay, so when in the FMVs, there's obviously a 3D model. Right. When he is on screen and you are controlling him. It's hard to tell at this resolution if you are controlling a 3D model or if you are controlling um, what's called a rigged 2D model. So, like, it, it may. Do you remember that old game? Was it a? Uh, was it Knights? Knights Quest the round table. Knights Templar. Knights yeah. Knights Quest. Knights. Yeah. Yeah. Talladega Knights. Um, 
it, it, it was an arcade game. It was Talladega Nights. That's it. It was Talladega. Yeah, I remember that arcade game. Yeah, <laughs> it was an arcade game that was literally a pre-animated cartoon, and then you made choices, and then it would show you. It was like a choose-your-own-adventure video game. Um, you you would recognize the graphics if you saw it. It was it was a huge Night Rider. Cult. Yeah, M. Night yep. Shyamalan. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, <laughs> night, night at the museum. <laughs> night at the museum too. This time we night harder. Um, it's written, written and produced by a nice one. <laughs> um, I don't know if this game is using completely canned animations, but it's almost irrelevant because the mechanics force you to see an animation all the way through. So if you start to jump, you're seeing that whole jumping animation. There's no abort the jumping animation, right? So if it's a 3d model or it's a rigged up um, 2d animation, whatever you're going to say next would probably hold true just because the end result is the same. Well, I was going to say is that I believe that in this situation, um, the, the reason why they can lovingly craft so much stuff is because unlike saying for every single frame of animation, I need to store a completely new picture. They, they just make a thing and then they move it, you yeah. know, and, and a, a rigged up 2d drawing gives you that same flexibility. Sure. So, so I think that that's kind of why they, and, and again, you know, sometimes it's, you know, once when things went 3d, everybody was like, everything's 3d. And they're like, Oh my gosh, look at <laughs> video games of this time were exemplars of you were so busy thinking about whether or not you could, you didn't stop to think if you should. Yeah. Um, and, and this is, they they get that out of their system because you know it, it's the 1990s you gotta hit that 3d pipe so they get that out of their system in the screen transitions and in um like when you go in and out of certain doors and stuff so when you get to like the temple area where some of the other free i don't know if they've never been slaves or if there are other escape slaves but um, some of the other Madunkins are like hanging out and chanting and living in nature. Every screen transition is like a freaking Star Wars like screen wipe or there's one that's a ripple effect and it looks like a Windows 95 screensaver. There's one where the camera breaks free and does like a zoom whooshy whooshy back way back into the background. So Abe's movements and most of the environments are very ps1 highly compressed jpeg but they still they still had to hit that wooshy wooshy pipe somewhere and for whatever reason they chose to do it in the screen transitions so okay bear with me here for a second um so there there are a lot of like interesting you know very like hyper stylized some maybe some would even call childish you know like visual transitions and visual scenes and the entire aesthetic is like way over the top right what what if this isn't abe um you know escaping from from bondage right what if this is running man right so the real way the company makes money is by by filming this escape and Mm. what we're seeing we're the audience right so what we're seeing right is all of the different visual effects and all the craziness and insanity. Cause I would explain some of the really bananas, insane stuff. Do you see this is just all television. So, so that's a, uh, first off, that's super messed up. <laughs> <laughs> let, me just start, let me just start there. Yeah. Secondly, um, I think, uh, that would give it sort of a, uh, it'd be like an open face sandwich of running man <laughs> and the second matrix movie. 
where it's like, mm. you know, you will be the 47th slave liberator who has escaped rupture farms and we have become exceedingly efficient at it. Right? Like, <laughs> like that's, oh man, that's, how did you take a game about eating slaves and somehow make it darker? It's, it is, it is what I do. I, I don't have very many, I don't have much, but what I do have is a specific set of skills. <laughs> we had a nightmare for podcast. And then, and then it would be like funny you. because all of the different foods would be different it's not foods it's tv shows anyways mm, yeah um dark so yeah <laughs> dark. especially because one of them the reason they had to discontinue it is because they hunted it to extinction yeah so that 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 season that series ended man you know you can't you can't watch that to- show no more um uh the one the one final thing i'll say for visuals is we did say the visuals were lovingly crafted i will say that the visuals are distinct enough for each modality of movement that you have such that they are not they're impossible to confuse, you know? So when you are running, when you are walking, when you are, uh, kind of doing that crawl roll thing. Oh yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and when you are sneaking, uh, you, you, you know, like there's never any part where, you know, in some games where it was just like, no, I thought I was in sneak mode. And it's like, Oh no, you were not. And the, the guard found you. No, it, if, if you don't know that you're sneaking, you are not paying attention, which is in a game that requires stealth. Cause I mean, I'm, like I said, everything instantly kills you, including when the game bugs out sometimes and you touch something that you didn't actually touch, but for some reason the game thinks you touched it. Um, everything instantly kills you, so being damn sure that you're sneaking is important, and they can give you a nice, big, Bugs Bunny, high knees, bent wrist, like, boop, 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 boop. Like yep. you, you know exactly what it looks like in your imagination, even if you've never seen this game, because you know what it looks like when a cartoon character sneaks. You can't do that in Thief or Metal Gear Solid, right? Like it, it's got to be a lot more subtle that the character is sneaking or not sneaking. But because this has this bizarre, you know, kind of Earthworm Jimmy 1990s aesthetic, they can make his sneaking animation really silly, which is great for the player, because then, like you said, you know, um, I, I would one. pay money to watch Solid Snake in in Metal Gear Solid <laughs> do the cartoony sneaky thing with the uh, Blues Brothers saxophone playing in the background. Oh you yeah, know? yeah, that's yeah. it. Feels like a thing that does need to exist. Uh, <laughs> so I've I've one silly note and then uh, a great transition note. Um, the silly note is there's a lot of text in this game, but uh, they do a really good job of balancing out uh, what you see to get uh mechanical and narrative information what you have to read to get mechanical and narrative information and what you hear to get mechanical and narrative information uh for whatever reason the pause screen has like the same art deco 1920s hollywood font that they used in bioshock which i mean is a really old style of lettering so it's not like bioshock invented it but the, it's a tv show right the second <laughs> <laughs> the second I paused the game, my brain just was like, oh, weird, because I've now over the arc of history, I've come to associate that Art Deco 1920s font in video games with Bioshock and and Rapture. And this is Rupture Farms. And I was mm. like, ah, no, that's way too big of a coincidence for my dumb lizard brain to not latch on to that. <laughs> <laughs> Like it just smash cuts to you doing like the yarn. Yeah. The crazy wall. (laughs) My transition comment is that, uh, this game, as far as I can tell is 
damn near 100% single screens. If there's any place where the screen scrolls, maybe I didn't get that far. I didn't get terribly far on this playthrough. Um, but every every screen was a single screen. So when you go off the left or right, or if you climb up or drop down, there's, you know, a ridiculous, uh, you know, George Lucas star wipe, and then you're on to the next screen. Um, things can travel screen to screen, like enemies can travel screen to screen. And critically, this brings us into audio, sounds travel screen to screen in a way that I think is almost over the top thoughtful get you this uh the the i think they're called slags the things with the red eyes and the guns yeah so when they walk because they're like part machine it makes a very loud like chicka 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 and then when they stop and turn it goes and it only makes that noise when they turn so like you have these incredibly clear 100% consistent audio cues about what a slag is doing. Are they running? Are they walking? Are they still? Are they turning? Like really useful information because they can follow you screen to screen. So being able to hear that there's a slag pacing back and forth on the next screen or that they are not pacing back and forth and you have to hope that they're not facing you when you cross onto the next screen is really important information. But what I realized is that information actually isn't bleeding over from the next screen because that would be more computationally complicated. The screen you're on also has that noise. So if Hmm. you happen to cross the screen boundary at a weird time in the audio cycle, you can actually get um, like a round robin version of a single sound effect where the sound effect Mm. was already playing. And now that you're on that screen, you've triggered the actual character model making the actual sound, but the other one hasn't finished playing yet. And Mm. so that shows that this is, I mean, it's kind of a funny bug, but like that shows that there's no way this is an accident because it was so critical that you be able to hear the enemies that are on the next screen so that you could use that information to, you know, move through the world that they, they thought about it. They were like, no, no, we can't just have all of the enemies in memory all the time. So the screen next to a screen that has an enemy will also trigger that audio cue so that you can use that information to plan and hopefully not die. Yep. And, uh, and actually pairs nicely, a beautiful transition, by the way, and a very, very interesting, uh, observation. I did not notice that. Um, it, it was a complete fluke. I noticed that they let you, you know, give, get the audio information, a screen over. But when I realized like, oh, it's actually, it's an intentional insert separate from the character model itself. I was just like, oh, that's funny. But it was only because I happened to notice a little bug. <laughs> um, but that being said, is I, I would say that Yes, absolutely. Because often we say, you know, audio in service of gameplay, you know, and there are games where it's like, no, nah, not really. Absolutely in this game, audio nece- audio is a must. And I know that because, again, the first time I played it for about an hour, I did not have the sound on. And game is way harder, way harder, makes less sense. Um, and so <laughs> I, uh, when I was playing it... Um, because you you know you you have to get the maduckins to to follow you maduckins to follow you right so you go up to them and you say hello and then you say follow and then they follow you right 
if you don't have those visual cues and you're trying to just kind of suss out through their weird sign language, what is going on? Um, it's a, uh, it's nightmarish. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So as far as visuals, like do you, or audio for in service of gameplay, absolutely required. Um, do I think that, you know, they could have made a different, um, animation for follow instead of, you know, Meh. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I think so. But, uh, but then again, I mean, they do have the audio cue. So there is that. Yeah. They, they didn't match the visuals as much with those audio cues of the, the speech, what, which is apparently called game speak, um, nearly as much as they probably could have, which is odd because the, the animations required would not be that sophisticated. So maybe these are actually hand drawn and not rigged up models. And they were just like, we don't want to draw extra animations for this. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, the audio is so important in this game that on the title screen, there is an option literally to just go in and see like, okay, when you hold L2 and you press the face buttons, it says these four things. When you hold L1 and you press the face buttons, it says these four different things. And you're going to need to know that not to just be more successful, but to literally be able to be successful at all to the point where later, not super way later, but like once you're kind of like out of the beginning of rupture farms and you're into like the little temple area, there are audio puzzles where the it's, it's like a call and response, right? It's Simon Mm -hmm. basically. And, uh, there, because the visual cues are very generic canned animations that they also use for other things, you could not just look at the screen and say, oh, he said this and then he whistled and then he farted and giggled. Um, you have to be able to hear it. You, you, It would literally be impossible without audio, like literally actually impossible. And I don't think that this game, at least on the PlayStation, has captions. So it's not... It's not audio optional. It's not audio suggested. It's audio required. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking of, so then, so then we've established that you have to have the audio, right? There is some background audio in this that I could have done without in the sense of like, it's just, I know that one of the, the rooms you go into has basically a meat grinder in the, or several meat grinders in the background, right? Yeah, they and, actually go to that well a couple times. And yeah, and, and that's fine. It's, it's, it's within the core aesthetic, but you know, that just hearing like this literally, it, it was grinding on me as it was probably intended to do. I didn't appreciate it. And so then in my mind is I was like, okay, well that's fine though, because if I don't like it, I can turn off the nope. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I thought that that was, uh, again, just, I, I know that they were kind of going all in, they, they they went full David Pumpkins on the aesthetic <laughs> here, you know, uh, and that's fine. Um, but I do think that in this case, they paired two things that I did not want to have paired, which is, I, and I think this is something that games learned more later on, which is, you know, and we've had this discussion, which is that, that yes, there is the way the artist wants you to experience the game. But then if you don't want to experience it that way, then you should be able to not, you know, you shouldn't be able to turn Bioshock into Looney Tunes. You know, like those are not the same, fundamentally the same game, but there should be a little bit of give on the spectrum, you know? So to say like, I, I want to play Oddworld. I 
don't want to listen to this horrible grinding noise, but I also need the audio cues in order to function in the game. So like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like to, to, to be able to mess with those choices, I would have liked. So. Well, I, I suspect that the newer games in this series, possibly even the remake of this game that their sensibilities hopefully have modernized as technology and game design sensibilities have modernized. And if, if the artist creating the material is like, no, when you're in the factory, it should feel horrible. And that includes horrible noises because they don't care about the health and happiness of the workers that they're about to eat. Right. So like I, I can, a little bit give a pass on that because then like once you're out of the factory you don't hear factory noises anymore then you're like outside in nature and it's you start to have like different ambient noises and some of them are grating but it's it's different but you couldn't design some of the puzzles in this game in an accessible way because it's like oh well you have to be able to hear the audio and it's like that's the only way to be successful that's the one and only way to be successful and you know they're entitled to say yeah like, yes, we made an audio puzzle and for a deaf person, this game is unplayable and we're we're okay with that. And I don't, you know, whatever. I mean, the, it's a whole discussion between like, do we bother? Do we change it? Or is this what we want to make? Even though it, it cuts some people out. But I think it's, it's not considered great game design anymore to say, okay, you have to stand on the screen while you try and solve this Rubik's Cube. And there's going to be the sound of you know, a meat grinder in the background and you have to stand there until the Rubik's cube is solved. Like, yes, would that create tension? And would that create like a lot of psychological overhead and that would make it harder to solve the Rubik's cube. And maybe that's the, the feeling that the developers are going for. Yes. All of those things are true, but that notion has kind of fallen out of fashion where it's like, what if we just make the player like kind of miserable it's like, well, there are more interesting ways than grating noises to make the player feel uncomfortable or pressured or, you know, under duress or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, nails on a chalkboard still works, but it's just it's not very novel. And I, and I think that, that you kind of hit the nail on the head there, which is that the, it's not that, this, that you can't put a player in, in an uncomfortable place. In fact, I think that a lot of games that... I really, really love do that incredibly elegantly. I mean, The Last of Us and The Last of Us 2 do that very, very well, where they intentionally put you in very uncomfortable situations. Um, and and it's intense, but I think that in this case, they kind of went with the, um, uh, well, I mean, something we were talking about in the pre-show, which is that, you know, all, all, all the human machine does is seek the happy feeling, you know? <laughs> and so this, like, we've gotten more in video game design and again we've got more better hardware more you know we stand upon the shoulders of giants not not by any way diminishing this game but you know we've gotten to the what really makes my brain get the happy chemical is feeling the way the hair is cut between two shears and that is why i am a barber is because just the feel of the 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 scissors in my hand is just it makes my brain give me the happy feeling and this one was like how about some cocaine you know like that's it's like, yeah, that will also give you the happy feeling. It's just, it's, it's just way more of a meat cleaver huh? of a way to do that. Uh, th- this is, this is the, the, the meat cleaver of happy feeling. Is that, well, and, is that and for bad feelings though, like yeah. that's, that, that's what's terrible. Like if, if you, you know, 
people who buy cocaine are usually seeking a cocaine experience. If you buy cocaine and you get baking soda, (laughs) you're not thrilled about that. And if you intentionally (laughs) inject baking soda into your eyeballs, I don't know how you do cocaine. If you intentionally, you know, pour some baking soda into your ear holes, then like, even if you expect a bad time, it's still a bad time. So like, I just, I'm, 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 I think human beings, whether they want to admit it or not, are more sensitive to noises than they realize. And Mm. some people are very tuned into that reality. A lot of people aren't, but I just, that's the thing I would give up before I gave up the gritty visuals and the Mm -hmm. gritty narrative is the grinding literal grinding noises that's the stuff where i'm just like can we not right it's the walking noise from the original (laughs) it's just like like can we just not like this doesn't really help anything and yes it's accomplishing the goal you set out for anyway we're beating this to death um the 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 one other uh final note that i have for audio that is is more on an upbeat which is it I, i i really enjoy abe's voice he's fun it's yeah. fun. He does have he's just kind of a fun voice. voice. You know, he's just kind of like, like my name's Abe. And I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, you are Abe. Good for you, man. When he, um, he almost always talks in rhyme, but not always, just almost always. Just enough to the point. I mean, for me, it was like, <laughs> as he was going through, I'm like, wait, wait, is he rhyming? And then, and then, it, and then he did one that wasn't a rhyme. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Wait, is he right? I mean, like, that's. That's the the writers playing a stealth game with us. Is every time they see the little exclamation point over our head, they're like, "No, no, no stop rhyming for a few lines to, to to make the make them go back to just their normal uh, guard route." Or it's like in American Dad, where it's like, um, um, "Everyone, we've just been served this injunction, which has caused us to cancel this function." You're rhyming again. I know. I hear it. I'm trying not to. You know. Like, <laughs> like maybe Abe's aware and self conscious of it, so he's just actively trying to stop. <laughs> Man, it's just, it's a tick. I just have a lot of time being a slave and there's just a weird little hobby that I got into. I got a lot of time being a slave and it's not just something I want to hand wave. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's important to talk about the music and how there's not uh, any um, because we've played enough games now that have light music or very atmospheric music where I've, I've settled pretty comfortably on like, yeah, sometimes that's the right choice. Uh, in this game, it's so crazy. The right choice that there is almost zero music. When you die, there's a little like boom, 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 boom. And then when you respawn, there's like a little, I don't remember exactly what that melody sounds like, but there's like a little four or five note melody. Um, when you do certain things, there's like a little like few notes that are like kind of musical. But if you're just standing around, if you're sneaking around, if you're solving puzzles and dealing with enemies, there's no music, none, not atmospheric music, not environmental sounds that are actually playing a little melody. If you squint hard enough, I don't know how to squint with your ears. If you squint with your ears, <laughs> I don't know how enough. to do cocaine. <laughs> I don't it's from all the baking soda I poured in there. Um, but I like I, I really appreciate that someone probably said like, you know, oh, and here's where we'll have the the factory tune and here's where we'll have the out in nature song. And here's where and somebody else was probably like, nah, no, no music, no nope. music, like just none. And 
the times where you get sound effects from off screen of enemies and stuff, you'd say like, oh, well, couldn't do that and have music. Yes, you could. You absolutely could. This game could have music. But this isn't the, fa- the NES. <laughs> right. Um, but the fact that it doesn't, uh, I think, is actually in line with uh, something that you have talked about before, particularly in a recent game we played Ninja Gaiden, um, which is uh, you are under no incentive to move at any particular pace because there is no music. You don't feel mm. like you should rush or go slow, right? There's because if there was slow music, that might actually slow you down. If there was fast music, that would definitely push you forward, but there's none. And so you don't have an external metronome setting the pace. And I think in a puzzle solving stealth game, it's really important that I be the one to set the pace. No, I, I like that. Um, I, I, I agree with that. And, and I think that it's both the correct choice mechanically for the reasons that you outlined. And it's absolutely the correct choice aesthetically, you know, is because, you know, the only, um, I was going to say the only song that they could possibly pick to play would be Tom. What's new pussycat by Tom Jones, you know, uh, <laughs> it's a, a, a Simpsons reference when Marge goes to work at the plant she suggested they pipe in Tom Jones music to oh, raise yeah. morale. Yeah, doesn't yeah. uh so one of the workers like throw himself into the reactor or something? No, I mean no, he uh he 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 loads a shotgun and starts <laughs> running around killing people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and you it, you see them all on the Burns's monitors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um but I mean like but again, like that that aesthetically makes sense, right? So I mean I could I could totally picture you walking into one of the many horrible rooms and it's just feeling like What's new, pussycat? Whoa! You know, but like that—that that would then be eerie and unsettling because, again, it's like the the corporate overlords playing this to increase productivity by two percent or whatever. And or what was the phrase? Uh, the beatings will continue until, until morale rises. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, um, so yeah, so I, I I agree that I think that it absolutely both sells the aesthetic and and sets the proper pacing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, normally we don't have as much to say about audio as we do for the visuals or the mechanics, which is fine. Um, I just thought I, I kind of sat back when I was taking my notes and I was like, oh, huh, there's no music, which actually is more interesting than some of the games we've played that have music, which is a real insult to those composers. <laughs> well, it's it's uh I mean, though, it's like if you go to a restaurant, right, you know, with just like your friends and you're there to hang out with your friends, you know, and so you just get some innocuous meal, you know, and then that's fine. Sometimes you go and you get a really good meal, right? And that's awesome, right? But then it would be like you sit down with your friends and then, you know, uh, the, the waiter comes out and brings you your food and it's just an empty plate and you go, uh, I, are, are you going to bring me food? And then they just lean in close to you and go, no, and then leave. <laughs> the tone has been set and now this is no longer, you're no longer kind of focused in the way that you were on like a fun friend time. Now you're kind of more unsettled and this is weird. So again, a deliberate choice can sometimes be better than just potato chips. What What weird ass restaurant is this? (laughs) (laughs) It's the one uh, that serves Maduckins. I, I think by talking about the ambient sounds, Abe's voice and no music, we have literally discussed all the audio that there is to discuss. Um, so controls and mechanics controls and mechanics. Um, one thing that, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll save it for, cause I've got thoughts on the cycle time surprise. 
Um, but uh, the, not as good as it could be. It's it's <laughs> it, it is not. Um, so there's there, there's that in the way that it pairs with the um, the animations that we were talking before that that uh, I want to um, get into. So so basically, the cycle time's not great, right? Um, for example, and I can pull an exemplar just right out of the first. 30 minutes of the game where uh, you have to cross across an area where rocks are actively dropping in, you know, like in this platforming area to then get to a different area with two guards and, you know, hijinks ensue. Um, I, I was struggling to figure out how to best the puzzle with the two guards. And I was more than willing to try a number of different things is it's, but the problem is that every single time I died, I got kicked back to, you know, two screens back, which then I had to go deal with that. Now that, so putting a pin in that, the controls are super sticky. Um, they're super sticky because of all of the animation frames, you know? Yeah, I don't, I, I've, I've, I'm picking up what you're laying down. I don't know if sticky is the word I would have used. It's almost like you're remote controlling him or you're yes. giving, you're giving him instructions and then he's following them. Not that yeah. you are Abe. Right. Because everything feels the the word I used for it was sloppy. Yes. Sloppy. Yeah. I mean, like they're, they're, they're like the uh, delay on the whip in Castlevania, but unintentional, you know? So you hit, uh, see, that's where I would disagree. I think this is the exact feeling they wanted and it's gross. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So what, what, what do you mean? Elaborate. I, I mean that uh, this is like if, if you played the original Prince Persia way back in the day, like he's not super nimble, right? The fights are not easy. The puzzles and platforming challenges are you die all over the place. And this feels mechanically and like controlling the mechanics of the universe like that kind of game. I don't know if there's a name for that genre, like a puzzle platformer, but you don't solve many puzzles with your wicked platforming ability. It's just that you have to navigate platforms to solve some of the puzzles. And so Abe climbs kind of slowly and he drops down kind of slowly. And when you turn from facing left to right, I swear to God, you could read a whole book in how long that animation (laughs) takes. Like it's, it's so slow because running from enemies, running past enemies, jumping over enemies, not really ways you can solve problems very often. And when it is, it's really obvious that it's like, oh no, we're going to make you do something that you're not well equipped to do. Most of the time, it's the opposite. It's like, don't try to flee. They have guns. Like, they'll get you, right? So there's this, like, sloppy, muddy, kind of gunky, maybe sticky is a good word, like, this, just, like, bleh, sort of feeling to controlling Abe because he's a malnourished slave. Like he's not going to, he's not Arnold Schwarzenegger in the running man, right? He's, he's not going to overpower his oppressors and, and rise to freedom. He's trying to sneak out. And so I, I think that slow, muddy, yucky kind of feeling is exactly what they want. And it's just, kind of it's it's the the tactile equivalent of how muddy the visuals are like everything just feels 
gritty to control. And and I I agree with that. That's a really really good way to look at it, and and not the way I I approached it. Um, but I think that to me, then I would be more okay with that if it wasn't that again. Literally in the first five minutes, you know, they they make a point of making you cross an area where it is about your lightning quick reflexes. You know, so. Uh, and again, like the, that, that type of thing I would be fine with if it wasn't for the fact that I, you know, cause once I got past it once or twice, I was like, okay, that was cool. You know, I, I, I learned it and I'd be okay with having that muddy feeling. But then the fact that I was kicked back to that platforming section over and over and over again, when this thing that I was struggling with was not platforming, I had actually gotten pretty decent at that. It was a, like trying to understand mechanically how to solve this puzzle. Um, that those two things combined, I found frustrating. And again, I, I believe that the reason why the controls were delayed, intentional or not, was because they have so many animation frames, and it takes time for those animation frames to come across. So the loving visuals in this case kind of uh, squelch some of the responsiveness of the mecha- responsiveness of the mechanics. That being said, um, it, it absolutely could be a, a deliberate choice. Um, but I I try now um, because if cycle time is going to be on on my gravestone, then uh, um, well, they're, they're, they're doing it to make you get good is on your gravestone, right? <laughs> um, so because we've done this enough time that we know each other's call and response. So, so I try to like look for that. It's like, is that what the game's doing? Is it trying to force me to get better at a thing? And it's like, it is, but not the thing that I'm struggling with. Yes. Um, and, and I think that is the part that makes some splinter get your attention, right? Because if your foot is full of splinters, then it's like, well, which one is causing you the most pain? Is it the one in your big toe? Is it the one in your Achilles heel, right? Like where there's a bunch of problems. Which one are you currently focused on? And uh, to me, you nailed the one that I struggled with the most because I'm staring so hard at the puzzles, which is the cycle time is you lose X amount of time, right? But that aside, I have to do thing A, thing B, thing C, and thing D to get to the next checkpoint. However, all four of those things have basically nothing to do with each other. So if the thing I'm struggling with is thing C, redoing thing A and thing B a thousand times doesn't help me get any better at thing C. And where this really fell down for me is... Fairly early on in the game, you start to encounter puzzles where the solution is not immediately obvious, where Mm -hmm. attempting to find a solution can get you dead, where the solution to the puzzle part on screen one is actually way over here on screen four. So you have to do A, B and C and then actually go back to A because now it's a prime and it will behave differently than the last time you were there. And I... (laughs) So I was going through, uh, you know, getting the show notes together. And one of the things we always include in the show notes is linked to the Wikipedia article for the game in case someone, for whatever reason, wanted to listen to the episode, but has no idea what the hell this game is. And uh, the, the phrase that I saw for this is trial and error puzzles. It's hmm. trial and error puzzle design where you don't have all of the information and then you have to use your wicked cunning to unscramble it. You just got to try stuff sometimes. And in a game where the checkpoints are not horribly spread out, but they're a little bit spread out and one mistake kills you. It's really 
disincentivizing to experiment. You want to be really sure that this next move is not going to kill you because now you have to do one, two, 10, 50 things correctly to even get back to the space where you can experiment again. And that, that was what broke it for me. And, and sometimes it's the sloppy platforming. Like you said, sometimes it's the, the mechanics just freak out on you and you get shot when you shouldn't have gotten shot. Sometimes you, you uh, were halfway through a jump and it alerts an enemy. You didn't expect them to alert. Like there's a million things that can go wrong, but for me, they all boil down to why are you forcing me to experiment when the penalty for failing an experimentation is so steep and I agreed completely. And I would say that uh, for me that, so we, we talked a lot about how lovingly they crafted visually this, the aesthetic that they're going for here. Right. And, and I, I stand by all that. However, in, in the, I think that, you know, in this, so this is like a, a horrid dystopia, right? So what they're trying to kind of force is like the, you know, how dour and awful and sticky and terrible it is. And, and it should evoke some fear and some kind of like, ennui, depression, that, that, those, those types of feelings, right? Um, so I think that for me, trial and error puzzle solving is antithetical to the game's aesthetic. You know, like, so the, the game's mechanics are in conflict with the game's visuals as far as how they service the aesthetic. Because if you're being forced to die many, many times, right? Then it kind of pulls you out of that and reminds you that it's a game, right? Which is entirely fine for a number of different games, right? I mean, like even take Celeste, who I will never stop singing the praises about their cycle time. They're trying to make you feel frustrated and they're okay with the fact that you're, with acknowledging the fact that you're playing a game. There's even a game within the game of you playing the game, you know? So the, oh, and uh, the game to both you and all of our listeners. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> no reason out of the gate just anyways um so that's that's not the emotion uh th- th- it's fine that they had that emotion and that that's how they got there uh the the equivalent i can give here is actually with bioshock for me when i was playing bioshock i you know i got into an area where there was a big daddy that you know I just could not figure out what the game wanted me to do. And I died like 17 times in quick succession and I put the game down and I didn't pick it back up. Not because I was horribly frustrated or because I wanted to smash the controller, but because I no longer feared the big daddies because they had killed me so many times. You know, they weren't scary anymore. I was playing a video game. I was no longer scrapping through rapture. I was just sitting on the couch playing a video game, like it shattered that for me, you know? And so I feel that that if you're going to make the character die many, many times, that you really, um, you, you need to be careful about the fact that you are going to draw attention to the fact that the player is playing a game. And I think that if you're trying to sell them on this dystopian future that you are living through, uh, like a fantasy kind of, like a weird kind of uh, uh, um, schadenfreude and fantasy, that that multiple deaths and trial and error mechanics are antithetical to that. That's you raise a really interesting question that I wonder how different game designers would respond to the question. Are you okay with your players thinking about the fact that they're playing a video game? Because, um, I don't think it's automatically a bad thing. No. And if it's, like in in certain games i would say it's even 
the expectation is that you think about the game you're playing and you're playing mm-hmm. the game. You're not in immersed in the world of the game. You are playing the game that you're playing. And uh, I could even imagine like going in and out of that, right? Like in a thing about like a team shooter, right? Like a, like an overwatch, like there are definitely times if you play those kinds of games competitively where you're thinking about the mechanics of the game and your teammates and the human players that are behind those controllers. And like, you're very outside of the game world, but then in the heat of battle, you probably can very easily get sucked back in where you're like, Oh, now like I, I am junk rat or whatever. That's the only name I could think of. Isn't Wait, uh, <laughs> that's overwatch. Yeah. But it, uh, is black widow is she the sniper overwatch yeah yeah i did it um (laughs) so you know but there's like in the heat of battle uh you probably can get sucked back in and and feel like you are living um living that conflict right and then Mm -hmm. when you're in the waiting room waiting for the next one to start you're like okay jim you suck don't play that character anymore you know mary (laughs) you're you're awesome keep doing what you're doing right and and like you're aware you're playing a game again and so even going in and out of immersion can probably be fine under the right circumstances i wonder what some game designers would say if it's like how do you feel about like are you trying to get people to forget they're playing a game are you okay with them realizing they're playing a game I think in this game for you, it sounds like, and for me, I agree with you. I don't really feel threatened by the enemies anymore after they've killed me for the 10,000th time. I'm now just literally thinking about the puzzle, which can still be satisfying. This was not, it can still be, (laughs) it can still be satisfying, but I think it's with a, a small visual tweak or a mechanics tweak where you don't die. You may be, get kicked off the screen somehow. Like maybe there aren't any sentient enemies, but like that there's a robot arm that like dumps you down nearby. Right. So you don't die, but the puzzle functionally starts over as if you died, right? Like there, there are, are ways you could still have the exact same punishing, no room for failure spectrum, black and white start over jackass without, having like, Oh, but you're also this, you know, slave trying to save other slaves and escape and be free. And Oh, but you died. You got to start the puzzle over. And it's like, yeah, no, that's sad. Like the first thousand times, but then eventually I'm just like, I don't care about Abe. I don't care about the other slave. I don't care about the people who are killing me. I don't care about any of this. Like I've now, all I can see is the code of the matrix. I'm literally just trying to solve this puzzle that won't let me progress. And that's, Personally, I just I don't I'm I'm with you. I don't love that feeling where I'm like, okay, game, you're a game now, and I don't like the game that you are. Well, and I would actually argue that um I think that the there there whether or not you are aware that you are playing a game um would depend that being a good or a bad thing, I think depends on the uh core aesthetic that they're playing to. So off the top of my head, I would argue that um fantasy and narrative are ones where you don't want to be pulled, be reminded of the fact that you are playing a game, you know? So even, so like, again, take Celeste. Celeste is not narrative heavy, you know? Um, it, it does have a narrative. Yeah, it's, it's like emotion heavy. It is. It's yeah. emotion heavy, but like the, you, you, you're not sitting there saying like, I am, you know, this character. It has, it does have a story and the story's interesting, but it's not 
like super hard, you know, into the narrative. Whereas the last of us is a hundred percent that, which is why it's very, very important that it has an incredibly broad failure spectrum because every time you truly die is it's, it's jarring. But if you got jarred that way too many times, then you would be reminded of the fact that you're playing a game and you don't want to be playing a game because you are Joel, you are Ellie, you're living out that, that fantasy slash narrative, you know? So I think that in this game where the aesthetic is clearly behind the narrative aesthetic of like you are Abe, you are trying to save these like endangered peoples. Um, that being reminded of the fact that you are now playing a game is antithetical to that. I'm gonna I'm gonna try this out on you. Tell tell me what you think about this. I don't think people actually talk this way, but it, it communicates the kind of feeling that you're you're making me swirl on a little bit, which is when you play Celeste and the character on screen dies, it would be reasonable to have the feeling of Madeline died, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't die. Madeline died. Madeline died. Yeah. When you're playing a game like the last of us, I died, right? Right. Like Joel didn't die. I died. Ellie didn't Mm -hmm. die. I died. Right. And if you are playing a game that is wanting you to feel like I died and it switches to they died, Mm-hmm. that's where that fall down. Like, even if, again, if you're not cognitively aware of it, you know, your brain knows like yep. the minute you stop saying when you're playing odd world and you, you go from, I died to Abe died. It's like, Oh, now you've disassociated from the character. Whereas Agreed. with, yep. um, a game like Celeste, you are supposed to be empathizing with Madeline. I don't really think they're asking you to become her. In fact, with that game in particular, I would say they're probably going so far as to they do not want you to become her. They want people in the general population to learn to empathize with people who have anxiety disorders. Uh, she's a trans character. So, like, they don't want you to say, like, I am Madeline. They want you to empathize with someone who has a life experience you don't have. Right. Right. I don't think they want me to personally feel like I have Abe's lived experience, but (laughs) I am supposed to be this uh, not antihero, but like a like underdog hero who is rising up against incredible odds in this terrible situation and, you know, emerges with with friends and family surviving this like uh, what do you call it? Genocide. Right. So like it's it's an uplifting story, but it's not, but it kind of is, but it was the nineties like, but the second you start going, Oh, he died. It's right. It's like you're, you're not going to get that catharsis when you win because you're like, Oh, Abe won. I'm not him. Cool. I don't care about Good for him. Yeah. And I, I agree with you completely. And I think that, um, and not to, to belabor the point, but I think that, <laughs> yeah, do, uh, do, do, do it, belabor, do it, belabor, belabor <laughs> the hell out of that point is, uh, is I think that, um, I, cause I think that, you know, your brain does want to, you know, empathize and be, be a part like Abe's death is your death, you know, but your, your brain can only handle that so many times before it is going to check out, you know, and I actually got to see this. I was talking to Megan about this recently firsthand where, um, and I think it was you and I that watched it together. Cause when I said, yeah, honey, remember watching this? And she's like, I have never seen that movie with you. I was like, Oh, right. I saw it with my sister. Um, so, so I think I actually saw it with you, but it was when we went to go see Sweeney Todd in the theater. Right. Um, the so he he cuts people's throat and then he presses a button on the um 
on the chair and the chair dumps somebody a story down into a basement and it makes this sickening bone crunch right yeah, and everyone is stone head right, first falling, yeah so <laughs> the first time it, goes, it makes this crunch and the entire audience went oh <laughs> and then yeah. the song keeps going and then it went like ooh, oh and then on the fourth or fifth one there was just nothing and i remember like turning to you or something and saying like you know it is amazing how quickly we all acclimated to that like that was the most horrible thing ever a minute ago and then literally it happened five times quick succession and now we are just all okay with that noise and that thing happening uh, because again like the first time we really and i think that that's what the movie's going for is that we are supposed to be becoming desensitized desensitized to it as sweeney todd is um you know but in this case when the whole point is that you're supposed to be empathizing with the person if it if you're if you you can't have that oh my god feeling more than a few times in quick succession before you're like i don't care whatever burn it down yeah, I, I really trial and error. You know, when when we do this, I think a lot about uh, some of the mechanics we've discussed and some of the I'm, I'm always fascinated when I'm like, ooh, a, a novel thing, right? Like, that's why we play the breadth of some of the games we played, because I I had never heard of the concept of trial and error puzzle design. And I I think you've completely nailed it in that. Uh, it breaks the main aesthetic of the game for someone who is not either really hard to desensitize or really good at the game, right? Like I, I can imagine someone saying like, oh yeah, I think on maybe some of the hardest puzzles, I only died like, I don't know, like four or five times, right? And being like, oh, well, yeah, so you you probably didn't get desensitized. But like on on a couple of the puzzles where around the time I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to play this game anymore. I'm done. I have what I need <laughs> to do the episode. Like I probably died dozens of times because some of them were trying to figure out what the puzzle wanted in the first place. And a lot of them were just execution errors because of those beautiful, slow, sloppy animations, right? Where it's like, Oh, I, I didn't jump at exactly the right time. I didn't uh, hit the up button to grab the ledge at exactly the right time. I, I meant to do this, but I did that or whatever. And just so like a lot of the failures are just like failure to launch where it's like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to walk over here and I'm going to figure out what they need me to do on screen number three. And Oh, I died on screen number one because of like a sloppy execution error, but there's no failure spectrum. So I just, I just gotta not do that, I guess. But what I'm learning to master on screens one and two are no way going to help me on screen three, right? Like we talked about before. So there's just, yeah i think we're we're starting to we're starting to give up the trick here <laughs> yeah um so the the only two two other quick throwaway notes i have is uh one um to kind of come off the aesthetics thing is that uh they do have some just just pure insanity in here like i said like the giant boulders uh you know the, the guys with guns like the, the guards that have guns and shoot you on sight you know and i would love to the number of times i got shot be like that is garbage and that makes no sense but it absolutely makes sense in a company where they're going to kill and eat their employees it's all game then right i mean like whatever bizarre dumb safety thing where you're like this factory would be shut down no it wouldn't because they eat their employees if that's on the table literally then everything else is good to go so i i, I appreciated kind of that because every time i 
because you know when i get angry i start to build a case for why i am legitimate in thinking this thing is dumb and every time i started to stack the thing about well they shouldn't have guns at a factory well no they probably would but they wouldn't shoot me on site no yeah they absolutely would well there wouldn't be no no that would exist too you know so uh that was good and uh, it feels consistent at least yeah right and uh this game has a, a save code which is good oh yes yeah there's from the generation of uh ps1 games that will uh let you still enjoy the game if you don't own a memory card which i do i do appreciate that they were thoughtful about that i do actually have one other thing here that um i forgot to write down in my notes and something just made it come screaming back into my brain um the way they teach you the mechanics in this game i thought at first was unnaturally spread out And then I realized that the reason they do that is because they want you to try to 100% the game, and it would be, I'm going to go with basically impossible to 100% the game on your first try, because there are 99 other slaves for you to free, so counting you, I guess that would make 100, right? So there's... uh, the other Madunkins all spread throughout the factory and out in the world and in the other parts of the game. Um, and you free them by you chant in front of these circles of birds and it makes a portal and they jump through the portal. Sometimes you can jump through the portal and you have to use it to navigate the level. Sometimes you jump through a portal to get to where other slaves are. And then you make a portal that they jump through. And then when you jump through it, you go somewhere else. Why do you go somewhere else? I don't know. It's just the way the portals work. It's a bird portal. So, I say all that to say this. Um, The way they teach you mechanics is so bizarrely stretched out across the first like quarter of the game where it's like, oh, press these buttons to do these things. And you're like, oh, okay, I press these buttons to do these things. And then they stop doing that for a while. And then you get to this other area where they're like, oh, by the way, did you know that you can like do this thing that takes over the slags. Like if you chant where they can't get to you and there isn't a thing on screen that stops you from chanting, but somehow doesn't kill you because reasons um, you can take them over, use them to help you solve puzzles and then explode them. And it's like, why did you wait so long to teach me that? And then you kind of sit back in your chair and you're like, ah, yes, because if I had known that information earlier in the game, there would have been other Madunkins that I could have gone and saved. But because I didn't know that, now I have to replay the entire game to go find all the ones that I missed early on. And the way they drive this point home, just in case you're a real knob and you somehow don't realize that them stretching out teaching you core mechanics is a way of incentivizing replaying the game now that you, the player, have knowledge that the character didn't have or shouldn't have at that point, is when you are exiting the first main tutorial area, there is a billboard in the background that says, and I quote, you escape and all 28 workers on this level die. And if you go on to the next screen, there is a billboard in the background that says the number of workers, the -hmm. number of casualties, and the number of escapees. And if you haven't learned all of these other later mechanics that would allow you to save the Madunkins at this point in the game, when you walk onto that next screen, those numbers have changed. And it is disheartening, 
right? <laughs> but it, it lets you know, one, that like your actions actually matter, right? And you are really here to save all of them. That's not just like, oh, there's 99 other Madungans. Like, no, literally. You can literally save every single one. And I thought that that was a very on-brand way to say, this game has replay value if you're into it, right? Like a giant literal billboard that says you escape and all 28 workers on this level die. And then on the next screen, 28 bodies are now on the wrong side of the billboard. It's like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> Oh, oh you, no. You, you could have just said on the title screen that there's a new game plus or something. You didn't have to kill almost 30 people to tell me that this game has replay value. <laughs> I mean, in a company that eats its employees, everything's on the table. Yes, yes, <laughs> it's true. So, uh, yeah, with all that being said, did it hold up? Uh, I, this whole episode, I have been flip-flopping on whether I wanted to go nostalgia monocle or full nostalgia goggles. Because if you even just look at the titles of some of the reviews for this game that are like in the, the references at the bottom of the Wikipedia article, you can see that a lot of people, even at the time were like, it's too hard. It's too hard. It's like, it's not, it's not fun because of how hard it is. And hard can mean a lot of different things, right? Like I couldn't master the controls or the puzzles were too complicated. Um, I think you and I have actually gotten closest to the truth because we're, we're better than those reviewers is what I'm saying. You yeah. and I, you and I have gotten closest and to humble the truth too. and way humbler. Yeah, we don't even have to write humble. some magazine yeah. or whatever. Um, what is this? The <laughs> 1990s? Um, <laughs> Your media is dying. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, th- I think we, we got a lot closer to the truth of the, the trial and error puzzle design combined with the cycle time combined with the fact that the puzzles don't really build on each other. So it's, you don't learn skills that help you accomplish the later part of a single individual puzzle. Um, it just creates kind of an unfun experience, but it is impossible for me to ignore the fact that there is an audience for this style of game puzzle design aesthetic weirdness about eating slaves and all that. Like the, this world has appealed to a certain group of people and that's fine for them. I can't imagine someone making an argument that this game would be worse if the puzzles were less confusing or if they were designed in a way where trial and error was not the only way to eventually reach the right conclusion or if they were designed in a way where thing B is a harder version of thing A or thing C requires you to do what you learned in parts A and B, right? Like there's how could one possibly make the argument that throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks and when you, you something doesn't stick, you die is better game design. I just don't know how you could make that case. So for me, I would have to give this, I think, full nostalgia goggles required. Um, what I would be curious about, and I'm, I'm not going to take the time to do this research myself, but if, if any of our listeners have played the remake or any of the later games in the series, um, I would love to hear if there are quality of life improvements that address the stuff we just spent 90 minutes complaining about. Um, because I think those little quality of life improvements, especially since they remade this game, could save it for me. For me, for a player like me, for a player like you, I think this the game's salvageable, but this this instance of it, this this uh, freshman outing, um, 
that it, it didn't do it for me. I, I, I gotta go. I gotta be true to myself. Full, <laughs> full nostalgia goggles required. Yep. So for me, uh, I, I gotta go, um, also just full nostalgia goggles. Uh, and I, I've also been kind of wrestling with it, kind of seeing, seeing where the chips fall because I, I I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I could, I could, if somebody came to me and was like, no man, dude, it's nostalgia monocle. I'd probably say, yeah, I, I, I could see that. You know, I, I, I don't agree with you, but I respect your opinion. If somebody said no nostalgia goggles required, I'd be like, I need, I need you to explain this to me, explain yourself. You know, um, for me, this game is, is kind of a, a neutral evil, <laughs> which is to say that it's not completely top to bottom, fundamentally broken. It's just not fun. You know, um, so it's, it's just broken enough. It's not lawful evil where it's like very, very well, well made, well crafted. And I did not enjoy it. Right. And it's not chaotic evil where it's like, it's broken and I hate it. It's just, it's just broken enough to just not be fun. And I think to me though, what slid me full into full nostalgia goggles mode was I was like, what is it? What I think the game does well is really, really capture nineties corporate dystopia. You know, like if you want to play a game that is 90s corporate dystopia distilled because Earthworm Jim doesn't really do that. It's it's more cartoony, you know, so this still has that kind of cartoony feel, but is way more do- dour, you know. Um, so I think that it does that very well. But then I realized, as I was saying to myself, was uh, it, that's all nostalgia, right? You know, it's, it's like if if you want to understand the nostalgia behind this time period and this particular type of art, then yeah, like play this game. If not, then no. So for me, uh, full nostalgia goggles require required. This game was not new and tasty. The curtain falls. The music plays. The credits roll. Then it all fades to black. And you're left by yourself The fanfare is gone There's no player two There by your side to share victories won But as you slowly progress Down the hall to your bed A few great events Leak back into your head From the time that you spent Traversing the land Battling evil Fighting the darkness Just sword in hand Your memories creep in With the edge of a smile You realize again What you lost for a while You're gonna think back much less On how you saved the day 